This is Coda Radio, episode 134 for December 29th, 2014. Welcome to Coder Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and related technologies. This episode is brought to you by our two fine sponsors, DigitalOcean and Linux Academy. I'll tell you more about those great sponsors as, as your show goes on. My name is Chris, and joining us every single week is our excellent host, established on the East Coast, Mr. Michael Dominic. Hey there, Michael. Hello, hello. Hello, sir. So right before the show starts, you say, you tell me... We're going to change everything, but I'm not going to tell you what we're doing until the show starts. So here we are at the top. It's our last show of 2014. Just got done with the best of where we just put together a robotic version of you. Didn't even, you didn't even have to show up. We just had like a representation of you. And now oh, here wow. we are. And you tell me, Chris, I got something I'm going to tell you, but I can't tell you until we start the show. So we have officially started the show. Right, so we're playing a little game today. We're okay. doing a format I'm calling Fair and Balanced. Fair and Balanced. All right. Okay. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to take one question and we're going to debate it. Now, I'm going to make the positive side and the negative side for both, and you just jump in both ways. Okay. Right? All right. And the debate is my favorite topic, H-1B-1 immigration. Oh, ding, 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 ding. Paul Graham and TechCrunch – a little got gone to it a little bit, a little bit of uh, fisticuffs. Yeah, what's going on here with this? Well, so this is. Um, let me just give you the background, right? Anybody who hasn't been listening to the show won't know. Basically, for the last few years, tech companies have been trying to get. Um, you know, obviously, the country is looking at immigration reform. The country here focuses is the U.S. Right? I know European people, people from elsewhere, Asia, etc. Sorry, this is going to be a pretty U.S.-centric episode. Um, we've been looking at immigration reform. And we, we're, you know, we're not really doing it. Congress doesn't like to pass things. So the tech companies are a little upset, right? Because their H-1B visas are visas for skilled workers, basically, including tech workers. Um, and we'll get into the arguments very quickly. But basically, Silicon Valley is disappointed that it didn't happen, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, there are H-1B visas, but they didn't get the great influx that they were hoping for. Mm-hmm. Um, now, my goal today is I was inspired by a TV show, believe it or not, called The Newsroom. Okay. What is to present the best form of the argument for both sides. Okay. Because I know I've been very one-sided, and I know Chris happens to agree with you know my, my own personal opinion. And I know also we have some overseas listeners who feel like there's a little bit of um, perhaps – xenophobia or maybe more accurately protectionism going on Mm -hmm. yep yep i've definitely gotten some comments in that regard let's try first to make both both arguments now this was done for us uh, at least on the pro side right pro h1b visas by paul graham who is a i think of an engineering superstar but in fact he's actually not an engineer anymore he's a vc but whatever we'll just let that go um However, he wrote an, a great essay on his blog, and I say essay because it is actually structured like a proper essay. I'm very happy about that, called Let the Other 95% of the World's Great Programmers In. 
Now, I'm going to sum up how it comes up with the title. Uh, the U.S. is roughly 5% of the world's population, right? So, you know, it's kind of a false argument. But saying that 95% of the other great programmers must live in the rest of the world, see, see where it does that, Chris? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's a cute title, mm-hmm. right? It, it's a, just He's not implying that the vast majority of good programmers don't live in the U.S. Actually, he is, but he's not, he's not making a qualitative or quantitative distinction between american british french indian whatever right he, he's not doing he's not playing that game right which is good because it would be crazy and prejudicial and not really accurate reason i'm saying that is i saw a lot of crazy tweets where people thought he was saying that mm. <laughs> so yeah so he is on the pro side and his argument is basically since the u.s is such a small percentage of the world's population it makes sense for the u.s to allow um foreign technologists, right? We'll use the term technologist instead of just programmer because he says programmers, but the debate is larger than just programmers, right? Sure, that yeah, we're, yeah. we're talking scientists, we're talking yeah. IT professionals of all stripes. Right, it, yep. Um, you know, we would get better, better technologists, for lack of a better term. He makes the usual argument of if we don't let them in, They'll found their companies in their in their homeland, and all the economic value of those companies will go to their homeland rather than the United States. Right. Okay. So this is not a we should be nice to people. It's the right moral thing to do argument. This is a this is for the good of the country argument. This is uh, which, all, all, this is also the same argument roughly that the movie industry makes to justify stringent crackdown on copyright material because if the copyright material leaks out and then is sold in in uh, third worlds or Etc. Etc. That takes away from their value, etc. Etc. So it's also that's that line of thinking. If you allow piracy, if you if you allow distribution of our content, and you don't crack down it, if you don't have a SOPA style sort of legislation in place as a tool for us to use, if you don't enable that, then you are transferring wealth outside the U.S. economy. That's essentially well, well, their argument there. Well, he, he's in fact making the opposite argument, right? He's saying that there is no advantage to the employer to doing the H-1B visa because the cost of actually obtaining the visa offsets any kind of, you know. Yeah, we got a couple of emails in that that said, uh, you know, actually when you do the numbers, the cost savings isn't really all that significant for the employer. I mean, yes, there's some, but it's it's not really the overall uh, thing that you guys are making it out to be. Right. So there is a couple good points in there, right? I can tell you from experience, any even minor dealing with the state or federal government is incredibly expensive. Mm. So avoid that at pretty much all costs. Mm -hmm. I would challenge, though, that even if you're paying the same value, eventually supply and demand comes into play and will eventually depress developer salaries. I would would think that would be the economics of it. I'm going to go with the extra step that Paul doesn't go, and I'm going to say that developer salaries ought to be depressed. And I'm going to tell you why. Aren't you a uh, uh, Aren't you a developer? But yeah. I'm also the employer of developers. All right. right? So well, I, I wait, have it coming. Up. Before you get to that, it's a good tease. Why don't I thank our first sponsor? Yep. You formulate your thought, and then we'll see why you think developer wages might stand to come down a little bit. Uh, and you know, as we talk about all of this, you want to keep your options open. Maybe you want to keep your skill set up, so that way, if you need to go somewhere where your wages aren't depressed you have the skill set to make that move, and maybe even the things on your resume that might help seal the deal. You can get, start, get started by going to linuxacademy.com slash coders. That's going to get you the coder radio discount over at Linux Academy. Linux Academy is a subscription service that gets you continuous access to new content that they are always, always developing. 
Uh, and it's already a huge library. So you get the initial content that they've created today that's there. Then you get access to everything new that they're making. Uh, and the thing that's, that's really fantastic about Linux Academy's content is it's created by people that are genuinely experts on these topics. That These are the things that they're like hyper-passionate about, and they're making courseware on it, and they're working with people that are professional educators to make sure that that way they can deliver the courses in a way that are really going to help you excel. And to do that, they have a whole range of tools, like step-by-step -step video courses, downloadable comprehensive study guides. When you get to a spot in the courseware and the lab work needs a server, their back-end system spins up that server for you if it's on AWS, if it's a virtual server on their own, gives you an SSH login. You can set up roles. You can choose from 7-plus Linux distributions, and then the courseware will adjust to match the distribution you've chosen. And as you go through the dashboard, you get to see progress reports of where you're at, how long something's going to take, if you need to quiz, if you want to download an MP3 of the instructions or maybe a PDF, whatever. They've, or sometimes it's a video. Sometimes they even have live streams, lots of those. They've recently added the Puppet Professional to get you from beginner to certify ready, like ready to go take the test in Puppet. Same with AWS. They've had a lot of success there. And learning Docker and some good DevOps content coming in the past few months. They have lots of new stuff coming, too. And with something we haven't talked a lot about on this show this year, but OpenStack is still huge. And they've got a lot of great courseware on that. All kinds of stuff. And they also have that live interactive stream where you can interact with the instructors. LinuxAcademy.com slash coders. Go check them out. Get the Coder Radio discount and move your skills forward. You're going to be really impressed with how the system works. You might have heard me talk about this before, but until you've checked it out, I don't think you've ever seen anything like it from any other online instruction site. This has got to be the best for this kind of content because nobody else is doing this, and they've nailed it. And now how could they? Linux Academy's got it wrapped up. They can take that. They are the leader. LinuxAcademy.com slash coders. And a big thank you to Linux Academy for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. All right, Mr. Dominic, so I'd like to hear this argument why developer wages should, should be depressed because there's a lot of developers in the audience that are probably thinking you're crazy right now. Yes, you cut me off at a very provocative <laughs> Sean Hannity time. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. So that is a great soundbite, though. I'm sure it'll be used against me. <laughs> I, I don't mean all developer salaries, right? I mean that the United States and, and most countries, um, at least you know the ones where we tend to think about when we think about technology – have a problem of creating this hub system, such as Silicon Valley, right, or New York. And by New York, I really mean Manhattan, right? I don't mean the state of New York. What happens is this hu these hubs, for whatever reason, right, we can, that, that's a whole argument that we don't need to get into. Yeah, that could be a whole show. I would, I, I, would just in, I would just ask you to look up rents over the last 10 years in San Francisco before you send me hate mail and say that I'm lying. They artificially inflate both the cost of living and the average wage earned by technology workers in there. Do you remember so that 2014 happens. was the year that Kevin Rose got like a – didn't like somebody get outside his house and start like harassing him? And he had, he didn't – remember he didn't call the police? He called the Google security force and yep. Google security came out to his house and took care of the situation? And they straightened it right out. Yeah. It's creating – and we've touched on some of this, but my argument would be is that it, it creates a – it creates a system where you, you get a high concentration of people making a lot of money or what started out as decent money, right? And then as you concentrate more of those people and more companies that compete directly with each other, i.e. Apple, Google, you know, all those guys, you end up creating a unnecessarily aggressive competition for, for talent. 
for example. And, and not even so that's not even that's not even including when they collude uh, and then later get busted. For right, it. which forces two bad things. Right, it forces wage inflation, mm-hmm. which, despite of course on the individual level, everybody loves their wages to be inflated, but actually on the macro level, it's bad because, i.e., look at rent in San Francisco. Right, you change the neighborhood, you everything just ends up costing more. Um, it also drains talent from other geographic areas. Just let's let's play a little thought experiment, right? What do you think would happen if the governor of California was able to be a dictator for a day, summon the National Guard, and say, "Apple, Google, wow. one of you must leave the state and go to the Midwest." I don't care which. Well, sure as hell wouldn't. Why would Apple, they do that? Right? Why would they do that? I mean, that would be suicide. It would be suicide. Yeah, but. I mean, and it's bad for the state and everything like that, right? It's good for the state to have these companies. But let's just assume that his only concern is a sort of national wealth distribution system. Okay, okay. What would happen is the competition for talent in that small area would actually go down, right? Because there'd be less of those technology jobs. Yeah. And let's say we sent them to somewhere like, oh, I don't know, Kansas, right? I don't really know what the, you know, Kansas, all I know is the Koch brothers and Boeing. Let's assume there's not a lot of Silicon Valley-style companies there, right? Okay. I mean, it can be any state like that. Any state. Alaska, perfect, right? Remote, only industries in Alaska are, you know, tourism. Uh, they have some natural resource stuff, but really not a whole lot of technology up there. Send, them, send Google to Alaska. What's going to happen? Well, mean wages in Alaska will actually go up because they'll start paying reasonable technology salaries. Mean wages in California will go down for technologists, And you'll have a system where, one, you won't have the insane inequality that you have in San Francisco. And instead of having one incredibly rich state and one – I mean, Alaska's rich because of oil, but let's just say it wasn't, right? One is incredibly poor state. You'd have two average states with less class conflict, less issues. That's good for everybody but the individual employee, right? Mm -hmm. So, So where are you going with that? Where I'm going with this is that these companies, you know, they got caught with their hand in the cookie jar with collusion. Anybody who thinks they're still not colluding is kind of on crack, right? That's what the whole recruiting industry is about. I mean, read the Wall Street Journal or Forbes. You'll hear stories of recruiters going to company executives on, you know, under the guise of job interviews to get information out of them. Hmm. Yeah, that is interesting, this right? Because is... it's like it's like politics. Like if you make something against the rules, the system just makes a way right. to make it legal, like either through a, a loophole or a third party. So it probably is going on to some degree, either unofficially, right. but and, it's and, certainly and the, not over email anymore. Right. And, and the whole parasitic industry of technology headhunters could be tamped down a little bit. Right? Yeah, it always feels so seedy. And let me... Let me kind of suggest something even more radical. If you didn't have to pay ridiculous salaries, right, and if you weren't only looking for the top 1% of programmers, maybe you would actually employ more people because you would hire two B-level programmers instead of 1A. It's possible, right? It may not be true. Part of Paul Graham's argument is that companies – there's an implication that companies should only hire the top – you know these 10x programmers. Well, I think companies that's what they never, that's the dream, right? Everybody a team of A I've players. I've never met I've never met a a player who wanted to work somewhere that wasn't Apple or Google, but that that's fine. <laughs> so just going to throw it out there. Um hmm. what 
what is the purpose of the hub? What kind like, of if hub? you were to the, the technology hub? If you were to open a technology startup, why would you do it in Silicon Valley? Uh, see, I would be more inclined to do it in the Seattle area myself uh, because of uh, the companies Seattle that are here. Seattle is a smaller hub. Yeah, that's what, that would be more that would be more attractive to me. Something a little smaller, but still uh, pretty, uh, you know, pretty big. Let's go with a okay. Then Seattle, right? A smaller hub. Why are you going to a hub? Well, for talent, for one. Uh, but uh, for me, it would also be for more collaboration. Uh, I think you know, if you like, for example, a podcast network. Uh, Jason Calacanis had a uh, podcast network called This Weekend for a long time, where he was just ripping off the Twitch shows like wholesale. Do you remember this? Uh, I don't. And, and one of the th- one of the secrets to his success is that he set up a studio downtown L.A. And they would they would literally just go out onto the street when they didn't have a host show up that day and just find a model looking for a job and bring her in or him in and uh, do the show. That's fantastic. And he just had, you know, and he had unparalleled access to the folks that were in technology at that time because they were all in that area, San Francisco, L.A. So there's some benefits in, like, production to being somewhere, you know, close to the story, so close to the – Let's say you wanted to start a new app, right? Your business was an app business or a website. You could program from anywhere, right? You're not interviewing people. You don't need access to people. Yeah. What is the only major driving thing driving you towards Silicon Valley? I can't think of anything, to be honest. It's the VCs, right? Because what happens? Oh, I guess, I guess, if, yeah, if I, wanted, if I wanted VC funding, yeah. You need VC funding. Yeah. The VCs don't want you to be far away because they need to make sure you're not an idiot. Right. So yeah, I didn't even think about VC funding. It, right. Now, we're going to get to the other side of this argument, but my proposal is that if VCs want to lower their payroll costs, which is essentially what they're trying to do here, in my opinion, then move out of Los Angeles, move out of San Francisco, buy a freaking estate in Kansas for like a dollar, you know, relative to what VCs have, and hire anybody you want. You can hire the top 1% of the class there and have virtually no competition other than Coke and, and Boeing, right? And I'm not like Mr. Kansas. I'm not being paid by the governor of Kansas right now. Let's talk about New Jersey. Same thing, because you know what the nice thing about New Jersey is? The people who, who are solely driven by money go to New York. Anybody who stays in New Jersey, money is not going to be the primary motivator. <laughs> so you can, that's the truth, because it's close enough that if your if you're deciding factor was your bottom line salary, you obviously go to Manhattan. Yeah, well, that would be like, so. In here, here in my neck of the woods, uh, there's a town about 30 miles north of Seattle called Everett, and uh, you can work there for 65, 70, 80 a year, or you could go get the same job in Seattle, and you know, be 120 plus a year, maybe even more now. I don't know. Uh, yeah. So yeah, it's 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 yeah. If you want money, you go downtown. You go to the cities. Yeah. Okay, so that's my little anti-Paul Graham rant. So right? hold on. Did you just say that you think the uh, Visa thing is being pushed by VCs because they want to be able to fund these startups at a lower cost? So my – one thing I found interesting about Graham's uh, essay there is he never says the word wage, salary, or pay once, hmm. which TechCrunch correctly pointed out in their article on immigration engineers simply don't trust VCs because – Graham is making what amounts to a pseudo-patriotic argument, but he's not really talking to people on the level that they're thinking about it, right? Right. Yeah. <clears throat> that and is and an my argument, point. 
my argument is that both sides are wrong. The you know if you're going to college and you're looking at the average national salary for for developers and you're not correcting out Silicon Valley and Manhattan, well, then you're kind of a jackass. Hmm. Unless you want to go work in Silicon Valley or Manhattan. If you're if you are not, right, if, if you do want to do that, then do that, and you'll be fine, and you'll do very well. You'll, you'll live in the tech bubble, and you'll be happy. Hmm. If you want to live near your family, if you want to stay in your home state, then it's time to stop looking at what Kevin Rose is doing. It's time to, first of all, for the love of God, if you're going to start a business, have a revenue model, right? Don't talk to me about user acquisition, Um. Well, and maybe uh, before you go too far from the VC thing, that's something that this that you have me thinking about uh, is is part of this. Like, are we actually? Uh, to me, it always seemed like when I saw people getting VC funding, uh, this seems like something that like two percent of software development in the world sees happen, and like the unbelievable vast majority of independent software. I'm just talking independent software development uh, is happening like by some people or a person and they're not getting like some huge check. They're just working every single day and they're just plugging away at it and they're building something. And that's always to me seem like, and yet all, we don't talk about that, right? We don't talk about that at all. We talk about what Google ventures is funding or what Mark Zuckerberg is going to fund or we talk about that kind of stuff all the time. Yeah. I mean, but uh, you know, the, the kid graduating college in May, he's probably not talking about that. Right. He may not have heard of Google Ventures. What he's seen is the average salary is shown to him by his university's career services department. And he's using that not as an average but as a minimum. Well, I want to challenge you there because I, 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 I think you're kind of – you're sugarcoating uh, – you're, you're, almost, you're almost not pushing the point hard enough I think because uh, you, you're making it sound like a bit like the schools are sort of misleading the kids a little bit by the wages. But I think it's actually – I think it's way worse than that, and I think, think it's t- worse than. You, I, I think, think there could it's worse than misleading. Yeah, I do. Uh, I think there's. Go I on. think there's a devious intent. Uh, but first, before we get to that, I'm going to tell you about DigitalOcean, and then I'll tell you about that. DigitalOcean is awesome, and you can go rock Coder Radio for a little bit longer in December if you use the promo code Coder December. Apply that to your account to get a ten dollar credit. A ten dollar credit for what, Chris? What is DigitalOcean? What a great question. DigitalOcean is a simple cloud hosting provider dedicated to offering the most intuitive and easy way for you to spin up your own cloud server. And that's awesome because that means when you get an idea, boom, you're off to the races. You can go. You can get started in less than a minute. You can get a whole server going. The full like Ubuntu installation with LAMP or uh, GitLab, whatever you want. I mean, I'm serious. Like You can get it going in less than a minute. And pricing plans start at only $5 per month. Five dollars. You know, we got an email from a listener who said, I wanted to go build my own Minecraft world. I looked at Minecraft hosting, and when I figured the Minecraft hosting and maybe a Mumble server, it was a no-brainer to go with DigitalOcean. And on top of all of that, their community had tutorials to tell me how to get it all going. And they have data center locations in New York, San Francisco, Singapore, Amsterdam, and London. So in less than a minute, you can go to, you can choose one of those data centers, and for $5, you're going to get 512 megabytes of RAM, a 20-gigabyte SSD, one CPU, and a terabyte of transfer. Use the promo code CODERDECEMBER, you get the $10 credit, you can try that $5 rig out two months for free. And that interface that they have is awesome. It's really simple, very intuitive, and power users can replicate it on a larger scale with DigitalOcean's awesome and really clean, straightforward API. In fact, they've got some neat 
things built around that API you can go check out. Uh, they've also got some fantastic tutor- uh, tutorials to get you going. Like I mentioned, the Minecraft one. But there's many, many more. In fact, uh, there's different ways you can look at them. Like right now, I'm looking at all of the stuff written, this tag with Docker. Uh, so here's one, how to set up a private Docker registry on Ubuntu 14.04. I, I should probably just go over that one, just to even just to read that one. How to perform continuous integration testing with drone.io on CoreOS and Docker. Well, that's cool, huh? How to use the ambassador pattern to dynamically configure services on CoreOS. Look at all these CoreOS ones. This is great. Oh, yeah, I'm in the Docker category, of course, right? But it could go anywhere in here. Look at all this. Here's Ghost. Oh, yeah, Git. Let's look at Git. Here's all of the all of the tutorials written up, tagged with Git. This is really slick. All something you get access to that makes using your DigitalOcean droplet even better. And if you use that promo code CODERDECEMBER, then you can try all this stuff out for two months without... Uh, you, don't, you don't even have to put a credit card in. You can just go in there and try it out for two months. It's really cool. DigitalOcean.com. CODERDECEMBER when you check out. And if you want to write a tutorial, they'll pay you. Maybe even up to $200, and you can work with their editors. DigitalOcean.com. we got a link for the tutorial in the show notes. Code of December. When you check out. All right, chat room. Don't forget to bang suggest as we go. We got right into this so quick that we forgot to prime the chat room. All right, so here's what I think. And I don't think it's just limited to schools. It's like a culture. It's like this, um, like how we sort of glorify hackers and, and computers. Like we we look at this almost like the lottery in a way. Like we tell children uh, you, you can go out there, you can you can learn these computer skills, and you might be able to write an app one day and get millions of dollars in funding. And they go out there, and they I think it's this, not this direct, like, in-your-face messaging, but it's sort of this constant building from the news, uh, from educators, from, from family with high expectations, from, you know, just the things you read online. And it's this, uh, it's this continual fantasizing and fetishizing of, of technology, and we constantly are drilling into people, like, you can make it big, you can go out there, and they come out there with these huge expectations. And I point you back to emails that we are still getting about interns. Where you and I thought, you know, it's not horrible if you're an intern, you know, maybe you're a young kid, you don't have any experience in the industry, you come work somewhere for free for six months, but you get school credit or, you know, you get some, something for it, but uh, like like experience. And everybody, everybody writes it, oh, you can't do that, you can't work for free, nobody would ever work for free, that's exploitation, there's so many options out there to make money. There's this expectation, there's this expectation that there's, it, that, that there's so much opportunity out there for me that I would be a fool to ever work for free just to learn something and gain experience on my resume. That would be an insult to me because there's so much opportunity because they're constantly being told about these VCs, about these app stores, about all these crazy schemes that make people money. Right. So I, I think I, at I a certain level it's because – and think about this, Mike. I think the thing is, is these schools and, and, and other people involved, like, you know, these trade schools and, and these online, like, uh, go in here and do this boot camp. Like, there's these boot camps where you go and you sign up online and you go out, you go travel out to their ranch and then it's like this super intensive multi-day training camp. And, like, all of it is built around making money off you. So they're all blowing smoke up your, up your butt constantly. Right. I mean, one thing I'd say is, first of all, you know, I'm sure I'm not going to make a lot of friends, but for-profit universities are not a good idea. It, yeah, their their incentives are not aligned with yours. Let's just put it that way, right? Yeah. And I'm not talking about private universities. They're fine. I went to one. I'm talking about literally for-profit. I'm talking about the University of Phoenixes, the DeVries, those yeah. kind of yeah. – yeah. not that the degrees are worthless, but that – but you, you, but you see how, like, I, I just more. see this whole chain of industry that is incentivized to blow smoke up people's rear ends because 
Then they'll go buy the services. They'll buy the training materials. Like it just. Yeah, but that's not the. I mean, that's not that's not the you know nineteen year old kid at the career fair's fault, right? Let me, let me, so last last spring, right? I was at a career fair. We were we were looking for, I believe, uh, I don't remember what we wanted. I think we were looking for like a JavaScript developer or something like that. Maybe a C sharp developer. It's not really important. What is important is that even though we posted no non technology jobs, marketing majors communications majors, liberal arts majors would come up to the table and ask about unpaid internships. We didn't post any. We didn't have a sign that says we wanted interns. I was afraid to do unpaid internships because the state of New Jersey is a socialist uh, place to be. (laughs) So I figured I'd get whacked with some sort of fine. Every, it's not fair to say every, but I would say the attitude across other disciplines is the exact inverse of what we're getting into the show, Chris. I mean, I had young men, young women just walking up to the table, handing me resumes and saying, I would totally do a whole summer unpaid. Don't worry about it for, you know, just I'd really like to learn. But once somebody opened Visual Studio or, you know, Vim, totally different conversation. Hmm. So it's because it's a programming job. It seems to be that there's an I should be careful here there is a expectation a uh, I wouldn't even say an expectation there are a lot of people who now study computer science or programming or whatever your university calls it who are doing it because mommy and daddy looked up the USA today jobs report for entry level jobs and it had a you know $6000 difference between other jobs right well and everybody's telling everybody needs to learn how to code so it's something everybody does now Right, which ironically will depress wages, but yeah, that's yeah, fine. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but let, you know, we we've been we've been doing our normal bashing thing. Let, let me make the counter argument okay. to this. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So protectionism is bad for the following reasons, right? Um, if every if it's expensive to hire developers, what are you going to do as an employer? You got to do something. You're going to hire very few of them and work the shit out of them, right? Yeah. You're going to, oh, I don't know, open a cafeteria in your company and offer a laundry service and walk their dogs and, you know, hire hookers. I'm kidding, Google. I'm not suggesting you're and, hiring hookers. And to be blunt, hire them young so maybe they have the energy and don't have the wisdom the to know energy. better. And you're, you're probably not going to have too many people re- retiring out of your company, right? I mean, right. And, you know, Eric Schmidt said uh, in uh, uh, his book about, like, how to, how to be Google, how Google works. Uh, he says essentially in there, create a mission and a system that the employees believe in, so that way their their motivation it comes from their belief system. Uh, and he's very he's very frank about Catholic it. School. Yeah, yeah. I, so that's not evil, right? I know you're very against it, but it, it, if you're actually mm, no, doing no, something no. that's you know worth doing, yeah. I think that's totally fine. I'm no, I'm not against that at all. I I don't like the calculated sort of scientific evil scientist way he explains it in his interviews. Uh, where he's very sort of nonchalant and like, yeah, we're manipulating these people. I don't like that. But I think if you genuinely believe it and love it, like maybe Sergey and Brin do, then it's different. Just because Schmidt's a douche doesn't mean that the idea is bad. <sighs> well, the problem is I wouldn't even say that Sergey Brin is a douche to use your eloquent term. No, I'm saying Eric Schmidt. Say... Oh, Eric Schmidt. Well, Eric Schmidt's evil. He's like yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. I, I would say that their hand is actually forced. Um, you just can't have a company full of people who make six figures. Like it's, especially when you don't charge for anything. By the way, the economics would fail. Yeah. So what do you do? You you, you need to work those people really really hard. 
And I think that's partially where this 10% thing comes from because I, I, I find it troubling that you have to be careful with this, but a lot of Silicon Valley perks and a lot of these tech hub perks are basically designed to replace crap that's in your house. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Like the, the, the need room. to go home. Yeah. 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 Uh-huh. I know. Uh, it's, I gotta, I gotta tell you too. It's appealing. Like back when I was in the, uh, the, you know, uh, the the nine to five of it, I was like, eh, that would be really nice to have this stuff done because I really don't have time to do it. And it, you know, like it's like I think it's a, I think people are smart enough to acknowledge that, right? Like they, people know. It's not like Google's tricking them. Well, I gotta be honest. I mean, I at one time got an offer from a very large company in New York, and their offer was a uh, pretty good. It's kind so of nice. Of, it's kind of appealing in a way. Like, well, if I'm yeah. going to do this anyways, well, I mean, I don't you know. know. It, it was, it was, it was, it was insanely good, actually, to the point where we'll try it for six months and we'll put you up in an apartment. If you don't like it, go back to New Jersey. Like, yeah, they certainly, I don't begrudge anyone for choosing that life. But I would say that if you're, you know, if you're not willing to work the eighty hours a week and you're you know, not willing to buy wholeheartedly into Google's mission or to Apple's mission or to Microsoft's mission, then you really, really aren't going to do well. Right. You'll right? burn out bad. There aren't too many clock punchers at Google. Yeah. Or if they get there, they don't last long. Um, I think, though, you're, is, you're, it, is you're, that evil? your core point, though, is so what Google, what's Google going to do, right? Google's got to push the employees they've got, uh, and then they've got to add when – they, when they have to add, they're going to try to add cheaper, I guess. Well, I'm, I'm arguing that they're not going to add. That well, rather they will add cheaper, but before they do that, they will absolutely bleed every ounce of productivity uh, out of the current staff. I suppose so. Yeah. Uh, you know, just six months ago, we were having not us, but the tech industry, a conversation about all these, um, you know, forty-year-olds and fifty-year-olds are getting really burned out, and they're like retiring and becoming baristas. Why? Yeah, well, you know, I, I could tell I, you why. They, they that sounds kind of nice. Like, like, I want to go. Uh, you know what? I want. You know, my secret dream is I want to go open up a barbecue restaurant. I think that'd be great. You know, I would love to open a coffee shop. Yeah, yeah. I would rock I, a barbecue restaurant. I would. Yeah, I would not would, be so good would, at the customer but, service though. Yeah. So okay. So, but we're we're kind of making their argument in a very flippant, bad way. Let's make the best form of the argument here. Yeah. The argument is if you artificially protect wages for software developers and other technologists, right? You are creating negative incentives for American companies and the British companies and whoever, whatever country you would like to speak from, uh, they will have no choice but to work their staff harder. And on the even scarier side of the equation, what if the next Manhattan Project style breakthrough happens in Russia or happens in Iran, right? Again, taking a very US focused look at this. That's terrible. It would have been great if we could have recruited that Russian kid, made him an American and somehow prevented him from going home. See, this is where their argument falls down, though, right? You only get the advantage of recruiting these people into the country if you stop them from sending capital and themselves back to their home. Think about this. If we hired a guy from, uh, let's say, let's pick somewhere friendly, Ukraine, right? Canada. Canada. And said, this, you know, hiring him is great. It'll help the American economic system. Actually, yeah. Canada's probably a bad example because of NAFTA. Let's, let's do Russia. Okay. Right? All right. We're so not you're, 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 doing a, you're doing a contract with your buddy Ed over in Moscow. Right. And I'm feeling good about that. We're going to hire him as an employee. 
Excellent. We're gonna bring him to we're gonna bring him to the United States. Wonderful. Okay. He's over here in Eatontown, New Jersey. Great. Okay. He's sending eighty five percent of his paycheck back to Moscow. Son of a bitch. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well he's got his girlfriend back in Moscow. Right. Because if my intention was to somehow help the American economic system, I have thoroughly failed at that. <laughs> Right, unless the advantage I'm getting from him somehow outweighs significantly. Well, what you're doing is you're just you're, you're generating revenue for the company for the business, and then that money would theoretically be going back. In the, the, to okay. Well, what if he? Okay, what if he? Let's say we're Google, and he comes to Google, or let's say we're Amazon, and we get the kid from China, and he goes back and he starts Alibaba. Doesn't that suck? Yeah, of course. You just created your own destruction. Congratulations. I thought you were trying to argue for them, though. You keep slipping up on I that. am. Yeah. I, I, just, yeah. I think the argument is really short-term. That's my problem. I mean, in the immediate term, it absolutely makes sense. You devalue the local salaries. You get a bigger talent pool, which even if you pay the same amount of money, you can always only hire 1%, you know, the top 1%. The idea that everybody needs to hire the top 1% is stupid, but we'll let that go. Okay. And, you know, you're good in the short term. The problem is in five years when that kid goes back. Hmm. You have a lot of problems. I, I think mean, the, only the idea thing is the, the the line I have heard is that they come over, they get westernized, they love it here so much, they start a family, they start a business here. I don't think that's okay. Okay, they start a business here with close ties to their home country, right? You would need to somehow lock them in. You you would almost need people to defect to get the full economic value. Um, maybe you know, maybe you. maybe you're looking at it too black and white. Maybe you only need one out of five to stay back. And and maybe start a business here, right? Maybe the return, uh, even on one out of five, is enough to make it worth it. I don't know Wait if that's minute, true or not. The economic just... return for the country, if I hire a kid from Kansas and move him to New Jersey, as 100%, because <laughs> yeah. theoretically that money, yes, right. that money never leaves the United States. That system. would be correct, yes. If yes. I hire a kid from Moscow, and he even sends a penny on the dollar he makes back, that return is 99%. Correct, yes. Yeah. So uh, yeah, mathematically, I, it, it doesn't work. See, this is where people think that you're uh, you are uh, looking at this from a protectionist standpoint because they're going to say, "Well, maybe it's not all about the United States of America." Well, and, and that's fair, right? So, so, so the truth is that I am a protectionist, right? I am someone who believes that you have a duty not only to do well for yourself, but also you you should take your country into account, right? Maybe you don't have to be Captain America or Captain England. Can I, I what about Black English. Widow? Uh, be, Iron Man. She has a very she has a very complicated relationship with her home country. Yeah, Iron Man. Iron Man. I'll be Iron Man. You could be kind of Iron Man. I could totally be a weapon salesman. I would I would sell the hell out of those weapons. I am so happy to have that on tape. <laughs> Eric says Hawkeye, that could work too. <laughs> no, so this this is a great argument though, right? Do you, as someone who owns a business, have a duty to do what's in the interest of your company? I mean, your country. Uh, I think uh, the, those of us that are uh, the meat in the machine think so. Those that sit on top of that machine couldn't give two shits. Well, I, th- I think it's very telling that they call them multinational corporations rather than American or British yeah. or French or Italian corporations, yeah. right? Yeah. It, it removes the allegiance. And I know I'm very 20th century here. Um, but yeah, I mean, that, that's what it really comes down to. I mean, Paul Graham's argument, I think, fails because he at one, one point tries to say it's good for the country to bring them in when totally ignoring how it's bad for the country. 
Now, if his argument was even as long as the majority of the capital stays and the capital generation stays in the United States, then you're fine. That may or may not be true, right? My argument is there are so many economically depressed parts of this country. I mean, really, look at the South. Not not going anti-South here, but wages in the South are significantly lower than wages in the North and in the West. If you really were looking for low wage, move your company to the South. You know, make a deal with a local university. If you ha- if you're a VC and you have money to throw around, you can make a lot happen for a lot less than you are in California. It is. I would not be surprised or shocked to learn that this is happening at some scale. But just like we never hear about the independent developer who's just plugging away at his or her app and eventually makes himself a nice little living, we don't – We you know, it's the same thing about this kind of thing. Potentially because it's not sexy, we're not hearing about it. And if anybody does know out there, go to the contact form and let us know. I'd like to contact some of these companies. Yeah. I, you know, I, and you know, maybe I'm just a little too star-spangled awesome. That's fine. Could be. I mean you do uh, – you are you – know, you know what it is. It's the New Year's, man. It's got you all fired up. <laughs> Thank you. It, you know, it's it's it, it's my inner Democrat coming out. He 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 seeps through the edges sometimes. Uh, I don't believe you. Uh. Uh-uh. <laughs> Get the hell out hey, of here. Democrats love protectionism. What are you talking about? So, it's like- uh, Mr. Dominic, this is a uh, this is a topic that's been eating at you over all of 2014 almost, but it really has ramped up in the last six months. Uh, and obviously, it's because you know we've been it, it's been it's been working its way through the political system as well. Right, but but let's just let's just. Cap it off, right? There's only one way the story ends. Okay. Silicon Valley gets half of what they want. Which is starting to they happen. Get, right. They're going to get a good deal of these visas. Mm-hmm. They're not going to get the crazy-ass unlimited quantity they would like. Um, hubs, I have a feeling that hubs are going to start to suffer, which brings joy to my little heart. Hmm. Because I really think you – know, and I'm not a big – not to get unfiltered here, I'm not a big redistribution guy, but if you simply redistributed the companies out of cities, you would be so much better off without having to tax people more. So I, you would just spread the jobs. I don't think I agree totally about the hubs begin to fail. What I think it is is you just start to get more of them, and they're smaller. Well, so, okay, but what is a hub, right? If it's so small that it does, it's not a few. A few notable I, I companies, consider, I think. A few notable companies working. I don't think, see. I don't think that's bad, right? I, I think we're going to go back to, you know, the old towns in the Midwest, right? Company towns where there's like one medium to large size company, you know, for every town. Maybe, or two, maybe, but you gotta you gotta also sort of refactor what we consider a, a medium sized tech company because. Uh, you know, a fairly popular website like TechMeme can have four or five people working for it. That's a small company. Uh, you could have some sites like eBay that maybe have 200 people. Work. I don't know. You know, like I'm saying there's there's like a lot of new small tech businesses that there are sort of more distributed because of their internet base. They don't have to be anywhere in particular. Right. And- but, but even a 10-person company, right, That that's a tech company, just having those 10 people working and doing okay supports local restaurants, local pubs. Yeah. Local hell, local coffee shops would love tech companies to move in, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, really. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ironically, not Starbucks, but smaller coffee shops would do well. Uh, interesting. I'd love to hear the audience's thoughts on it too. Uh, we had uh, I had one thing I wanted to show you, but my my video sent to you isn't working today. But uh, uh, did you see that they are work? There somebody is working on a IDE for GNOME. What do you think of that? It's I a, did. I, you know, I didn't get a good look at it, though. I just, they have it, it on Indiegogo. They have it on Indiegogo. So, anyways, it's up for funding right now. I just wanted to mention it to people if they care. They can go check it out. 
Because, you know, it, it, $30,000 seems low. Yeah, it's for three or let's see. Uh, he actually, he, yeah, I thought so as well. Um, uh, he says he grew up in a town just outside of Seattle, Washington. I wonder what town that was. I should get a hold of him. Uh, oh, he's going to solo it. Okay. Yeah, he's soloing it. He's already quit his job. And he's already been Maybe working on it for a little while. He even has some money in the budget to like go to some of the gnome conventions and, and show it off and talk about it and, and, and collabs with people. So one thing I, I saw this fly by on Twitter. This is not commercial, though, right? He's just going to do it, and it's going to be open source. Right. He's already yeah. You know, I'll play I'll play a little bit of the video because he talks about it in there. I'll, just play, okay. I'll play a bit because he's already started it a bit. With a wide range of applications and high focus on usability, but underneath the surface, GNOME is showing its age. Our developer tools on Linux are from the last decade. Meet Jim. Jim wants to start contributing to free software. Our community is strong and happy to help. But how should Jim begin writing software? As of today, there are too many tools Jim needs to learn first. Meet Builder, the perfect development environment for Jim. Builder is an idea of mine. This summer, I quit my job to focus on creating a new IDE from scratch with everything a developer will look for in a development environment. By integrating GNOME's documentation and platform API with a powerful editor and UI designer, we can make it easy for people like Jim to contribute. With the funds this fundraiser can provide, I will work on Builder full-time. If we reach $30,000, I can work full-time for the next three months and implement Builder's core features. Here's a spotlight of three of them. With global search... So there you go, three months. And then he talks about global search and some of the features uh, in Builder. Okay, so that, that's a little more sane. And it's not like a huge IDE, you know. It's not Xcode or Visual Studio, I don't think. Uh, I think it's a little more. I think it's a little more focused, a little more simple, but it's usable. Now, I mean, in the days of Unity, does anyone care about GNOME? Oh, you bastard! Yeah, you enjoy your Unity Seven while it lasts, my friend. They're about to replumb that whole thing, and we'll see how that goes. We'll see how do, that goes. Listen, listen. When they do that, it's going open to nine ten. Everybody can suck it. <laughs> hey, one last plug before we run. Well, you know, we got emails we can get to next week too, but. Uh, uh, Micah wrote in with an email, and uh, so did Sundar about Fedora Seven. But you can find him in the show notes. One thing I do want to mention before we get out of here, uh, I don't. I think did we mention the OpenYourMouth.Recipes website on the? We did. We did. Yep. So since then, oh yeah, we launched it. Right, like it was just an idea. I, yeah, we launched it. Yeah, yeah, 101 commits so far. Uh, we got 11 pull requests in there right now. 30 contributors, and uh, it's been broken down into categories: appetizers. Uh, there's specifically a bacon category, of course, cocktails, breakfast desserts, egg dishes, soups, noodles. Uh, it's kind of amazing, actually. Uh, so, like here, I was looking at like look at this bacon cheese ball one. Uh, four ounces of mozzarella, four ounces of provolone, four ounces of sharp cheddar cheese. I'm sorry, Chris, I can't hear you over my coronary. <laughs> I know, right? And then you put it in there with some cream cheese, some bacon, oh. some ranch dip, and you whip it all up in a food processor. There's some serious, awesome recipes. Open your mouth that recipes if you want to contribute. I, I'm still trying to talk Ange into getting up there and submitting some of our. The Fisher family has some pretty good ones that I think will go really good on there. So, Chris, when is the next uh, uh, conference you're going to? Uh, uh, that's a good question. That's a good question. Uh, well, Linux Fest Northwest will be the next big fest we go to. Uh, that's something that I think is going to be probably at the end of April. So that's always kind of like our go-to. Uh, and uh, I'm I'm also I'm thinking about maybe trying more local meetups. Like instead of going to big, I mean, going to conferences as well. But uh, instead of like only going to conferences, maybe just going to like you know meetup.com meetups. Have you ever done those? Like there's one for an open source group here in Seattle and. I have. 
with very, very mixed results. Yeah. Eric and I went to one a few weeks ago, or actually back in November, I guess, or October. I don't remember. For KDE, it was kind of neat, but I was the only one I've been to. I just, I don't know. It seems like a neat way to meet people and maybe yeah. even get a few interviews. So, I don't True. know. Why, what about you? Are you going to a conference? Why do you ask? You know, I'm trying to think. So I'm trying to do the 2015 budget. I'm, you know, every year I say I'm going to go to WWDC and I don't. Yeah. And uh, I don't feel particularly inclined to this year. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, the, the big vendor conferences, I don't know. They're, I don't feel like spending $1,600 to get a sales pitch. Yeah. Plus a hotel, because I'm in New Jersey. Obviously, I got to fly to California. I don't know. I'm looking at smaller stuff local to me, smaller stuff in New York. But I was thinking of maybe I know there. What's the Linux one in Ohio? Isn't there a big one? Yeah, yeah. There's Ohio Linux Fest that was in October. Uh, that's that was a good one. Also, Self Southeast yeah. Linux Fest is uh, is going to be a fun one. Uh, that What's I think that? I think that'll have the whole crew, the whole uh, or at least a big part of our on location JB crew will be at that one. Ooh, what's what's that one? Where, uh, I mean, South, where is it? Southeast Linux Fest. Uh, let me go look it up. I forget now. Cause is it Florida? I've actually never been to that one. But uh, the guys loved it. Uh, so they're like, this is the one we have to go to next year. So that was, that what that one we've already scheduled for. Uh, in fact, we're thinking about, we're going to talk to them about maybe getting a room down there. North you know, Carolina. Like a, like a, yeah, 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 North Carolina. Yeah, Charlotte. that's right. Yeah, Charlotte. Yeah, that's oh, right. That's 2014, sorry. But yeah. No, that'll be, the, it'll probably be the same place. And actually what's kind of nice about that is, uh, the hotel and all of it are all connected, the airport and all of it. So, And f- there's food nearby, so you don't have to do like a whole bunch of travel or taxi. It's like you fly in, you do the fest, you fly out if you want. It's it's really nice. So mm. That's a good one, too. That's The the guys, you know, the production team has gone to all of them, and uh, that's one of their absolute I don't favorites. have a beard. I, I can't go to a Linux conference. <laughs> you can borrow mine if you want. I can, mine just pops right off. It's detachable. Maybe it's, I'll just buy a Gandalf costume and show up like that. <laughs> Uh, that might be the way. You know what's funny about that is I don't think people would look at you all that cross-eyed. I think they would be like, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, oh, okay. He, he's got to be a Debian guy. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. And we're done. Goodbye, we got guys. some birds in there. Okay, very good, everybody. Well, uh, look, we got lots to cover next week because uh, we got uh, your feedback. And, of course, uh, hopefully we'll get some more feedback over to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact. Of course, there's also that subreddit. That's really the best place to go, coderadio.reddit.com. Mr. Dominic, where would you like to send folks throughout the week? Like M. Dominic? Yeah. DominicM.com. All right. Or Fingertip Tech on uh, Twitter. That'd be a good one. Or Fingertip.technology. That's another good one. That'd be a good one. Uh, You can follow me on Twitter. I'm Twitter.com slash Chris Elias. Don't forget, Coda Radio is live on a Monday, noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, jblive.tv, jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar for your local time zone. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning this week's episode of Coda Radio. See you right back here in 2015.